Welcome back to the Dad in a Rock podcast. This is Sean. And this is Chris. Hey, we're here again. Uh, still under quarantine, but uh, I guess it's not as scary this week. W- once you go through some for a few days, it's <laughs> less frightening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now it's just making sure we got enough milk in the house. And, you know, the more we're home, the more cereal and milk we're going through, I'm noticing. Yeah, absolutely. I was able to uh, go to the grocery store. You know, single person, we didn't go out as a family. Usually we do. I just kind of took the trip myself. You know, uh, most of the meat was gone, but there's still meat there. Most of the bread was gone, but there's still bread. There was still enough to fill my cart, uh, which is always a good thing. Yeah, no, I went to the store and I wanted some tuna fish. And I have never seen a bear tuna fish, you know, aisle. And sure enough, this was a bear tuna fish aisle. I was like, <laughs> oh, that just kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah, canned food, uh, soups, tuna fish, ramen, it's kind of hard to come by. Not quite as hard to come by as toilet paper, uh, which is still like, you're starting to get word on the street like, man, I hear this particular store got a shipment this morning, you need to get over there and get some toilet paper. (laughs) Our local Costco went ahead and had a delivery today, so there was trucks there, and Janessa's like, you want to go get in line tomorrow morning and go get some? I'm like, do you really want me in line to get some toilet paper? You may be getting a call from the local authorities. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As far as this uh, quote-unquote new normal you and I are both working through with our families, uh, how's it going with uh, Zach's schooling? Uh, It's going pretty well. I mean, right now we got an email from his his school saying that they have Chromebooks that are going to be available for us to pick up uh, Thursday. So they got a couple hours in the morning, and it's going to be really uh, pull up, kind of like the drop-all setup. You pull up. Yeah, basically, you show them the kid's name. They're going to bring the Chromebook to the car itself. They put it in, you pull off. Oh, nice. And and that's really going to be the extent of it. So we were actually juggling the idea of him using the actual uh, MacBook. But seeing that my wife isn't even quite 100% comfortable with it, she thought maybe that may add to the difficulty of actually him doing the homeschooling. Right. So we decided to get him a Chromebook. Oh, well, good. Yeah, it's um, we actually just got an email from our kids school system today where we had to take a survey, a technology survey to, I guess, kind of let them know what our capabilities had. Like, you know, if we had an Internet connection, if it was a dependable fast one, what kind of uh, if we had computers or tablets in the house. So I think uh, our uh, county is probably gearing up to do the same sort of thing. Uh, providing materials for the kids to to do while they're at home. Yeah, it's, uh, Zach's actual ninja school uh, went ahead and started releasing videos. Uh, this like last week was like his coach Josh came on the screen. He was like, hey, "Okay, we need a chair. You need a, at least one pillow, a ball, and a bucket of toys." And it was like a ten minute video, and he had basically a ten minute ninja class that he can repeat at any point. Oh yeah, uh, which was you know, which was really nice for him to go ahead and uh, kind of get something of the normal that he was used to. Right. But uh, I mean, outside of that, I mean, we've got him a bike, so we're trying to keep him riding his bike. We went through now, we're on our third bike in a week and a half, so we've had some uh, very bad experiences. <laughs> uh, we bought two bikes from our local store, and I kind of kind of don't want to say their name, but first one, the brakes broke, so I returned it back. Yeah, you need those. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a BMX <laughs> bike, too, so there's no pushing back. And they went ahead, no problem. I got the exact same bike because he loved it. It was a neon, like, green, yellow, the tires, the whole thing. And he can be anywhere on my street, and I would see him without any problem. Yeah. And got home, and lo and behold, the brakes broke again. Oh, no. So we had to take that one back. Now, at this point here, I wasn't sure whether the receipt was, so I I sent my wife in my place to go ahead and return it because I didn't feel like fighting with them. (laughs) 
And uh, they eventually, after about an hour and a half, they agreed to go ahead and give us some money back. So we went over to another store, purchased a bike. And once again, the brakes flat out didn't work. Now, these ones here, the brakes just weren't adjusted properly. Like, you can squeeze on the brakes, and it just wasn't going to stop. Yeah. So I had to take it over to a bike shop, and they had to fix a piece. And they looked over it, and uh, they basically said this bike was a trip to the emergency weight room waiting to happen. Oh, wow. The the brakes weren't adjusted properly. There was parts on it put on backwards. The front tire was not center. Uh, so there was a lot of issues with the bike that I did purchase. But Do you put it together? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you would think so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, now that he's kind of been through that, you know, a nice, safe bike, it's a, it's a little big for him. And he can't completely get flat-footed with the seat all the way down. But at the rate he's growing and the way he loves riding it, I see the confidence level growing in this little guy. And uh, I enjoy actually getting my bike out. I actually pumped up my tires. And me and him go for about a mile bike ride now, uh, either every day or every other day right now, just to kind of get out of the house, which is which is pretty fun. You know, I haven't been on my bike consistently for quite some time. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Now's the time to do it. The weather's starting to warm up a little bit. We have some nicer days ahead of us this week, uh, especially how a lot of us are kind of stuck in the house here for majority of the time. If you're following the rules and being conscientious, you're in the house a lot. Uh, a lot of folks still aren't, but uh, now's the time to take a bike ride, take a walk, go in the backyard. That's what we've been doing. I've kind of been walking around the block, taking the dogs out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, being as such, since we've been kind of stuck in the house, you and I both have been kind of on the hunt for content to watch, right? Content to devour. And uh, we both kind of came across the uh, the WWE Network, right? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say we came across. I think you went ahead and threw it out there for me. <laughs> yeah. And I bit hard and have... Uh, Gotten the sickness, I should say. Yeah. I'm down with the sickness. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, just watching some of it, I mean, we were we we're big. I mean, there was the 80s for us, but that was pretty much when we were – we didn't know each other yet. And it was basically before – I mean, I think we were really big into anything down those lines. Yeah, we were probably about like five, six, seven. Yeah. But, I, I mean, we are kind of looking at some of that stuff. And watching some of that was uh, – which well, it was pretty fun to kind of see the beginning of the people that – uh, we really enjoyed once you know the 90s kind of hit. Yeah, this app has kind of been a lifesaver. It's funny because the WWE, they introduced this streaming app uh, years ago. It's a few years old now, kind of before the anyone thought of any kind of streaming war, you know. Um, Netflix had, had been out and maybe Hulu was out at the time, but that was really about it. And they actually got a lot of flack from uh, from people saying like, I don't know, is there enough content? But they're still going strong. They get their $9.99 from folks each month and they do have, to be fair, they do have a lot of content on there. I mean, not only is it all the pay-per-views from the 80s all the way up through today, but, uh, I mean, they have a full lineup. I can pick and choose any episode of Monday Night Raw from any week from, like, 1995 all the way to now. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, not even that, though. I mean, you have the ability underneath the, the play bar to pick specific matches. So you can just jump to that match and be just, you know, that's all I wanted to see from this three-hour episode. Yes, my favorite feature, probably. <laughs> it's like the skip button on a CD or something. Yeah. You just go to, right to your favorite part. So they had some of their own shows, and they have the Monday Night Wars. So it's like an hour show of just like the Monday Night Wars between WCW and and WWF at the time. That's that's a lot of fun. I mean, that's that's pretty much the the main error that me and you more, more or less grew up on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, some of my earliest memories are in that uh, 80s rock and roll wrestling era. 
where, I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than Hulk Hogan, right? I mean, he's still an icon uh, to, to this day. But, uh, you know, your ultimate warrior, Macho Man Randy Savage, Mr. Perfect, uh, Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, like, these were, like, larger-than-life characters that I loved watching. Jake the Snake, Roberts, like, just a, a bunch of... just. I mean, they were basically cartoons. It was like an extension of your Saturday morning cartoons. Um, superstars would come on after the cartoons, and I would just watch them with my cereal, you know? Yeah, now I remember them, but I remember them as in like 90, 91. Yeah. That's pretty much when I got them. I mean, Hogan, I mean, there's Bret Hart. Yeah, by that point, it was probably, it was like Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker. Yeah, Owen Hart was it was there, the, the, the Hart Foundation, yes. We had the, the birth, I mean, really, it was what, I don't think they realized that it was going to become like a billion dollar industry. And I threw that number out there half-heartedly, because I'm not sure if it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of money. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you've seen Lex Luger. Lex Luger was one that was, you know, grew into a huge name in the 90s. He, he was really the first that jumped ship yeah. from WWF to WCW. And it, it happened when, I mean, there was no Twitter. There was no internet. No one knew what was going on. No one knew where, like, people's contracts were. And he just snuck onto a show on WCW and people at WWF had no idea that it took place. Yeah, I think it really kind of kicked off the the Monday Night Wars for sure. Well, WWF at that point, you know, they were Hulk Hogan. I mean, he was like the poster boy for the WWF. And he had, uh, his contract had expired. He had jumped ship. I think there might have been a span of time between when he left WWF and when he went to WCW, but they kind of went without their poster boy, their, their big, their, their top draw. Right. So they actually, they were molding Lex Luger to kind of take that spot. I mean, he had the physique. I remember specifically a pay-per-view where Lex Luger was going to battle Yokozuna on like the bridge of a big old Navy battleship. Um, it was uh, a lot of fun. Like Lex Luger was all done up in, in America colors. Right. Um, and so, uh, but it wasn't too long after that, that you're right. There was that episode of maybe it was Nitro or WCW Thunder where Lex Luger just kind of walked through the crowd and showed up in plain clothes. Like what is going on here? Yeah. Was that one of the malls? Like the mall of America in Minnesota? I think it was. Yeah. Uh, he walked out there and everyone like all the, you know, the broadcaster and WCW were acting like, because actually, if I remember right from the documentary, they didn't let anybody know. They let him, they had him show up 30 minutes before he was supposed to come out. And when he came out, everyone thought it was you know, someone from WWE. What's he doing here? Thing, and then they realized, you know, he's actually a member of us now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that that thing that really kicked it off because that really, really made uh, Vince upset that he 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 lost and they yeah. basically he slipped through their fingers. He, he let his contract expire, and then you know Ted Turner just jumped on it. Yeah, it's crazy the the behind the scenes drama, and it got even crazier and crazier with fans, especially with the invention of the internet. To where you could really kind of like read the backstage reports and the leaked scripts and all kinds of things as far as how these shows go. Uh, to the point where the fans got so smart that eventually Vince had to label it as sports entertainment and not like a real thing, but almost like a scripted drama with some, uh, you know, some action <laughs> in between. <laughs> it's a different dynamic these days. They don't cut as energetic of promos. And it's a little more uh, kind of soap, soap operatic. But uh, I have real fond memories of, of those days, all of those characters. Macho Man, Randy Savage, he's one that I just, I can sit down and watch any one of his promos and just for hours on end, I mean, just he's a character that I really enjoyed. I was so sad to hear when he passed um, of a car accident uh, a few years back. But one of the guys that I actually didn't really, you know, love that much of as a kid 
but when I get older, I just, you know, especially when he came back, he had been gone for a long time from the WWF, and that's the Ultimate Warrior. Um, he was a larger-than-life figure, kind of uh, kind of set to take the mantle from Hulk Hogan for uh, a few times, but he kind of fought some personal demons and never really kind of got to that level. Um, and famously, it was a few years ago where he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, uh, during WrestleMania, maybe it was 29, 30, and uh, Vince and, and he kind of made up, and, and tragically, you know, like the next night he was on Raw, and then the day after that he passed away too, and it's just sad to see all these wrestlers that uh, you enjoyed watching as kids kind of go one by one, and I'm sure as we get older, we'll see more of the same with the uh, the Attitude Era. Yeah, when you think about it, everyone's so concerned about the you know football players, you know what they put their body through once a week, really. Oh yeah, these guys are on the road. I mean, 48 of the 52 weeks of the year. So I mean, they they put themselves through quite a bit. Yeah, this may be a spoiler alert scripted, uh, but what they're doing it's it's real contact yeah i mean they may not they, they gotta limit to it limit as much as they can so they don't actually injure each other each day but i mean if you look at that you know the attitude era when you look at the hardy boys you look at you know the dudley boys and everything the ladders the tables ladders and chair matches they're doing i mean they're they're putting their bodies out there i mean they're landing i mean they're jumping off ladders that are like you know 25 feet in the air landing on each other oh sure i mean injuries are gonna happen yeah, and it's, you know, everything is done for show, and, you know, they do things, they, they do moves on each other that are meant to look like they hurt, but they're you're you're out there to actually not hurt the other guy. You know, everybody's kind of watching each other's backs to make sure they have decent careers, because this is their bread and butter, this is their paycheck. So nobody really wants to hurt each other, but, man, I have, I've actually stepped inside the ring. Um, this was a few years back when TNA was still a thing. They're not anymore. <laughs> But uh, I went to go see a show. I got to step inside the oh, ring and uh, meet. Hold on, what? Uh, Back this up. <laughs> <laughs> Total nonstop action wrestling, my friend. Oh, okay. I was going to say, you're a married man, dude. <laughs> but actually, uh, I shook hands with uh, Jeff Hardy and uh, Bubba Ray. Well, he's called Bubba Ray Dudley at the time, one of the Dudley boys. Um, and I, you know, those ring ropes and that ring, dude, it's no joke. Like, it's it's steel cable just, like, wrapped with some foam and <laughs> maybe some tape. But uh, they're not like rubber bands these guys are bouncing against. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, going from, you know, you you know meeting some of these guys here, I mean, it kind of you mentioned, you know, Bubba Ray. You mentioned uh, one of the Hardy Boys there. I mean, it rolls us right into the 90s. I mean, that's really when, oh, yeah. when everything really, really heated up on it. I mean, we have WWF. They're kind of doing their own thing. And then... Uh, Ted Turner decided he kind of, you know, he likes his wrestling too. Yeah. And he, he went ahead and purchased some of the the, the smaller uh, local shows down in the South and decided, you know what? I want to put some things together. Hired uh, Eric Bischoff, which uh, may have been one of his smartest moves he did early. Now, it may not have worked out late, but Bischoff, man, he was he was savvy. He, he was cutthroat. Yeah. I mean, as far as going ahead, when they were doing, they went live. Because when they went live, Bischoff pitched that to Turner as a joke, it's like Turner was like, what can we do to compete with them? And he was like, you know what? Let's go live Monday night. Let's go burn up against I'm thinking he's never going to agree with us. <laughs> yeah. And since he controls all the networks, he put them right up against them. And one way they started beating him, because they beat him for like a year and a half straight. Oh, yeah. And the way they started beating him, Bischoff knew the results of the recorded matches on Raw. All right. So he started like like reading off the results. So you don't need to watch them. Watch live. Watch when you don't know what's going to happen over here. Yeah. And they they actually started going live uh, at like 
7.58 yeah. before 8 o'clock, so before they both went live, so he can read all the WWF results before both shows went live. Oh, yeah. Bischoff was uh, something else, man. He didn't come from wrestling. He came from TV. He was a, he was a shark for sure, and it was enough of a draw. I mean, first, you, you started to get some of the old guys. You had Randy Savage. You had uh, Hulk Hogan kind of moving over to WCW, and things really heated up once you had the Outsiders come over. You know, Big Daddy Cool Diesel was now Kevin Nash, and uh, Razor Ramon was now Scott Hall. And uh, they they wrote it up as kind of a storyline, right? Like they were invading uh, Nitro. Yes, exactly. But uh, it it wasn't like that. It was all, it was more of a kind of a draw. Because WCW, by that point, they kind of had the reputation as an up-and-comer. But they were, they had a bunch of the older wrestlers, the guys that were maybe past their prime. Uh, but I mean, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, that, that was their prime, man. They, they haven't even hit their prime yet. And, uh, for them to jump ship, it was kind of a big deal and it really made WWF, uh, take notice. Yeah. That's when they realized there was actually a competitor out there. When they started seeing them, the ratings started going up and that started thing and things started happening. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. And then they, yeah, you know, the whole thing happened when, um, Hogan was away from, you know, wrestling for a while. He was actually out there doing his, uh, his Hollywood deal, which, right. you know. Never, never really worked out for him. <laughs> Suburban Commando wasn't a hit. What? Yeah, right. But uh, they were out there, you know, on them on the set of those shows daily, trying to convince them to come back. And they eventually found out that he was missing the ring, and they were able to go ahead and convince him to come over. And uh, that was, I think, that was probably the biggest shot. Yeah. Once you bring Hogan through those doors, and he's wearing his stuff, but but when he turned heel, oh yeah, when he went. Bad. That was probably the smartest thing WCW did in general. Yeah. Because all of a sudden they had the hated group, the NWO, which uh, was was amazing. I mean, I was more of a uh, Wolfpack guy when they split <laughs> into two factions. Right. But uh, you look back on it as like that. That's what, you know, what made it as good as it was. Yeah, for me too. I mean, and this is the era that you and I really started to get into it. I have, uh, you know, specific memories of like kind of uh, being in your uh, bedroom there on Mulberry Street and watching uh, the Attitude Era with Stone Cold and The Rock before he was The Rock. He was still uh, Rocky Maivia. Rocky Maivia, yeah. And the, the Nation of Domination, right? <laughs> uh, and just the stuff, you're right, with WCW and NWO is great stuff. I've always loved a faction, like um, even back in the uh, the days of the rock and wrestling back in the 80s, like when Ted DiBiase could just like buy his way through and like, you know, buy a, a posse of wrestlers around him and you would not have to fight a single bad guy, but a whole posse of bad guys. Everyone's got a price. Yeah, everybody's everyone's got to pay. pay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's that's fun stuff because it's just like it ups the ante as far as the bad guys go, and it makes for just fun storylines. And the NWO was no different. I mean, there was a time where they just you know ran roughshod through the entire WCW lineup. Yeah, and they didn't even care. So if you're fighting one, you know, all of a sudden the other three would run out from the back, and all of a sudden you know the match is disqualified. Yeah, but they just beat the snot out of the guy and then move on. You know, there's there's all kinds of footage of, uh, you know, Scott Hall laying somebody out, Kevin Nash putting the boot to him, and then, uh, you know, 
Hollywood Hulk Hogan using his black spray paint to spray paint NWO on the title and yeah, tagging him, yeah. yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. Just like I mean, it was, it was just fun, and uh, you know, the crowd was loving it too. I mean, NWO T-shirts they were selling like hotcakes. <laughs> you saw a bunch of. I oh, think we had some. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, we definitely had. I definitely had a red one. Yeah, I'm not sure about the black one, but I mean, going back to Hogan turning heel though with the NWO, I mean, it was it almost cracked the seams of wrestling. Yeah. Because, I mean, there was trash and things thrown in the ring at first. At first, people weren't, you know, weren't about it. But, I mean, like you said, it grew legs. Oh, yeah. I mean, people loved the fact that, you know, there was almost, it was almost like WCW and NWO within the same broadcast, but two different wrestling factions. Right. Then you had your guys on the other side. I mean, you had Chris Jericho, who later became uh, pretty big over on WWE. Um, but uh, he was doing the line and tamer and kind of started his whole shtick over at WCW. You had your classics like Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, you know, the guys who were kind of ruling the, the 70s and 80s. Um, and you had guys like uh, Booker T and Harlem Heat, um, Eddie Guerrero. I mean, that whole faction with uh, Dean Malenko, uh, Eddie Guerrero, some of the like the smaller guys, they weren't like, you know, six foot plus. Um, they were smaller in stature, but they were technical wrestlers to, that just could really put on a huge show. Um, it's kind of it sucks to mention Chris Benoit, but he was one of those guys. Unfortunately, you know, he had kind of a sad, tragic end with with him and his family, which we won't get into. But uh, uh, he just he's a, another one that kind of comes to mind with the, with that group. Yeah, I mean, looking over them, I mean, I mean, Sting. Yes. I mean, Raven. I, I say I was going through all these, and one that jumped at me that I fr- I couldn't not believe I forgot. Was Raven? Yeah, Raven was was primed for the '90s time frame. Oh yeah, because if you think you think you know music, you think punk, you think grunge, and that essentially describes Raven himself. Just falling in a corner, complaining about you know everything going on, uh, not wanting to actually fight, but he'll complain about not being picked for the fight or being overlooked for the fight. Yes, or things down those lines. In his ripped jeans and his uh, his jean jacket that's torn, has no sleeves on yep. it. Yep. And uh, he was one of your favorite picks when we played uh, WCW NWO Revenge on your Nintendo 64. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Him and uh, DDP. Yeah. Uh, DDP, man. I, I loved watching him do his diamond up in the air. The diamond And cutter. then bring it down and jump. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Self high five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got so many fond memories of like WCW at, at that time. It's just, I mean, going even to like their, their, their pay-per-views, like, I mean, Halloween Havoc. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's prime for what they were doing with the bad guys and, you know, Raven and, and Sting. I mean, you have all these guys that are actually, like, working kind of in that. But Harlem Heat, I mean, they're all working in the darkness almost. So it, it played right into their strengths. Yeah, and you mentioned Sting. I mean, Sting was almost like the WCW's version of Hogan before Hogan came over. Like, Sting was the guy. Like, he was WCW's guy. Like, he was their poster boy, their main talent. And he started up in the, in the day with the 80s with the uh, the crew cut and the kind of colorful neon uh, face paint, almost like the Ultimate Warrior. And he had a huge following. But when he crossed over and did that whole shtick where he looked like the crow and he was coming down from the rafters and the lights would go out. Oh, it went huge, yeah. And he had the baseball bat and stuff. Just awesome. Like he was the one man kind of standing against the NWO and it was so, so good. <laughs> remember? I don't remember what pay-per-view it was. And I'm not sure exactly who he was fighting. It was one of the mainstays. But do you remember when he was in the ring 
and then he'll get knocked out, and someone and someone else dressed like him with a baseball bat painted would hit him. <laughs> and it was like you couldn't get away from him. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it was it, he was he was working on somebody's like, psyche. I don't know if it was Hogan. I don't know if it was like Goldberg or anybody big. But uh, I remember just that they would look up into the rafters, and all of a sudden they'll see the vulture up there, yeah. or just those mind games. With it was his his big thing. You're always kind of looking up into the rafters. You're waiting for the lights to go out and the spotlight to come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he 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 made it big. I would even say when Hogan came over, he was still Hogan's equal in oh, WCW. Oh, for sure, yeah. And then Hogan kind of did his thing, and it, it became him and Hogan. I think for a while, him and Hogan had some type of like you know storyline that went along with it. Now I don't know if that was after he went, uh, you know, Wolfpack NWO Wolfpack, and I was like those two factions kind of you know button heads. Yeah, but I remember there was a big storyline with those two uh, kind of going at it. Well, it was a big draw in those days because I think, you know, back in the day when WWF was, uh, you know, the, the big guy, um, there were still all these different factions. You had NWA and, and like South Georgia Wrestling and OVW and the Ohio Valley. And like, um, you know, wrestling was very much kind of compartmentalized into these different territories. And WWF, um, Vince McMahon Sr., um, he was the one to kind of start consolidating these territories into one organization up in the uh, the kind of the Northeast and, and Midwest, while WCW, you know, kind of through the late 80s into the early, early 90s, they started to do the same thing with a lot of these uh, Midwest and South factions to where, you know, their headquarters were in Atlanta. And um, but uh, yeah, Sting and Hogan, they were kind of two titans from from different territories for the longest time. And it was almost like a dream match. Like, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool to see Sting versus Hogan? And then for them to be in the same company for a while, I think it was just a bigger draw. I mean, this was the time, uh, like you mentioned earlier, where WCW, they were the winner in the ratings for about a year and a half, and I think they just had a better product. Um, and this was really kind of before Steve Austin was Steve Austin. This is before Mankind was uh, Mankind, and, and the Attitude Era really kind of took flight into the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but uh, yeah, WCW was, uh, was worthwhile competition for sure. Yeah, that was my choice. I mean, yeah. I remember, I remember growing up and watching Raw uh, originally. Like, I mean, Monday Night Raw on USA for that yes. hour live. I mean, I remember, like, you know, that was religious watch. I was like, I was, it was on. I was going to watch it every night, every every Monday night. I wasn't going to leave. I was going to watch it all the way through. It went from an hour, then it kind of grew, and then it grew into a three-hour event that it is now, which which is a little rough, for in my opinion, for kids kind of to watch. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a Monday night during the school year. From eight to eleven, I mean it. It's it's not really feasible, really. Right. Definitely when they put the you know the more exciting matches on later. I, I kid like my son, for instance, Zach. He he can't watch you know a match at ten o'clock on a school night. We're more leaning towards. I mean, I'm kind of getting off off topic here a little bit, but more towards uh, the SmackDown events where it's now on Friday nights, which is once again it's three hours. But I don't have to worry about him getting up in the morning to watch. I mean, they went through the whole attitude area, and when they finally won, you know the the Monday Night Wars. They went ahead and you know they combined everything, and it was just too many wrestlers, oh, it was yeah. too many people. Uh, they just didn't have the space for everyone that they you know they brought over and all their their current talent. Yeah, I remember that night specifically where Shane McMahon showed up on Monday Nitro. Uh, it almost felt like you know the beginning of something crazy, like oh we're finally going to see these dream matches between 
I don't know, Sting versus Undertaker or Triple H versus, uh, you know, Scott Steiner or, you know, all these different, you know, scenarios that that play in your head. Like, wow, you know, Steve Austin versus DDP, like this stuff's going to be great. Um, And it just never came to fruition because like you and I had talked about between contracts and and personalities and just uh, the actual quantity of wrestlers. I mean, you just can't money wise, even though WWF had a ton of money can't pay all of those guys to come over it's only so much tv time too exactly so yeah. you really you have certain guys that are going to require time uh you don't have the ability to get any of these guys to get a chance to break through because they don't have time to be out there and actually kind of make their name so which uh they went ahead and did something crazy which uh i didn't expect them to do but they split their roster into two different shows which really have no connection to each other so you have your monday night raw which is your traditional show and then you have a SmackDown, which is now, I think originally was Thursday night, uh, which they have now moved to Friday nights, uh, which is a ho- the other half of the roster. And they kind of have their own deal going on. Uh, if I, if I, my memory serves me right there, there's also like a, a next. Oh, NXT. So there's a, like, there's like another show as well. So they've got like three different shows at least, uh, right now. So they're, they're, they're finding ways to go ahead and get these, you know, these guys ready for the actual big show. Uh, which would, I mean, I guess, would Raw still be the flagship? Or are they kind of equal in standing, you think? I think Raw was the flagship for many, many years. But uh, nowadays, and even especially after the app, where it kind of puts everything on an even playing field. I mean, even the pay-per-views. I mean, we used to spend 60 bucks at a time to watch these things. And now you can watch them for your nine ninety nine a month you know, installment. You, you can watch every single pay-per-view. That blew my mind when I found that out. I was like, <laughs> They're a part of the nine ninety nine. Oh, I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. It almost sets everything that's produced on an even playing field. So I don't really think there is a star of the show. But but what do you think? Is it maybe roster wise? Is there any bigger wrestlers? I know, like for instance, John Cena is over on SmackDown. Uh, is the Undertaker on SmackDown or is he over on Raw? Do you know? I honestly don't think that the Undertaker maybe shows up every maybe twice a year. WrestleMania, about leading up to WrestleMania, roughly about that. Yeah, that kind of thing. His body just can't take a week-to-week, you know, wrestling match these days. Um, so, you know, they kind of build him up and, and kind of he's like a one-night-only kind of guy. But um, it, it's hard to say. You know, I don't think they strictly break up the roster. Um, they kind of go in and out of that where they phase in and out. But to be honest, I mean, you and I, we we watched both of these products, WCW and WWF, weekly, re- religiously, both on Mondays and Thursdays. Yeah. And, and we followed them intently. We, we ordered the pay-per-views. You and I, actually, I remember this now that we're talking about it. You and I watched the pay-per-view where Owen Hart had uh, fell from the rafters yeah yeah no i, I remember because it went we didn't know no one really knew what happened yeah and all of a sudden the camera kind of panned real quick to the ring yeah and we're like why are we looking at an empty ring we just heard owen hart's music play what, what happened where's he at and the crowds reacting yeah you know, kind of in disbelief and the camera's and, just uh, like panning through the crowd and you're looking at the stunned faces of the the crowd that's there and jim ross and and jerry lawler they were kind of like dumbfounded too they didn't know what to say you and i were just like what just happened <laughs> After that happened, didn't they out well just completely like not say outlawed, but got rid of any type of like zip line entrance into the ring? Oh yeah, I mean after that you can't really do that anymore. That's crazy. <laughs> so that was kind of uh, uh, Shawn Michaels kind of oh, yeah. his his calling card. That was the way he came into the ring a lot of times. Yeah, was was that type of entrance? Yep. So when that when that tragedy happened, uh, it was it was huge. I mean not just for you know losing Owen Hart, but for you know some of the antics that they pulled actually on shows 
Yeah, and it's such a, a sad thing, too. I mean, it would be for any of those wrestlers to kind of die tragically in the ring, but by all accounts, Owen Hart was apparently one of those guys that really brought people together. He always kind of w- was good for a laugh and, and uh, kind of alleviating the pressure of uh, this business. And, you know, you can imagine there's probably a lot of uh, personalities that clash, a lot of hot heads, even behind the scenes, a lot of ego, a lot of testosterone. And apparently Owen Hart was kind of a, a peacemaker and was able to uh, get guys together and, and give them a laugh. So for that to happen, I mean, I remember it shook the, the whole roster. I remember you and I, the following night, we watched that episode of Raw where they were just talking about Owen the whole time. Yeah. I mean, when they, when uh, all the, the basically the full roster, uh, Vince McMahon and Stephanie and all them came out and uh, Vince basically addressed what happened yeah. and let them know what happened, the whole deal. And uh, then they went ahead and had like a tribute to him on the Jumbotron. And you can see the the emotion on, say, like Stephanie's face, oh, on, yeah. uh, on Mark Henry's face. And I mean, there's tears. I mean, there, it's true emotion. It wasn't it was nothing staged about it. They were they you can tell they truly just lost. A, a friend, a brother. Oh yeah, you know that you know brought them all together, and you know for all intents and purposes, I mean, it, for as great as a friend and everything, and you know, person and everything he was in the locker room, it sounds like he was you know equally as good, you know, husband and father. Oh yeah. So it, there's you know there's lost on both sides there. And I just can't imagine. I mean, just behind the scenes, and I, I know they're on good terms today, or at least somewhat good terms. But there was the Montreal screw job with Bret Hart. Uh, to where uh, there was a match between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, who had been feuding a while, even outside of the ring. Like, they were kind of fighting in real life. Uh, but they kind of put like, let bygones be bygones. They had a matchup coming. Uh, Vince wanted to have Bret give up the belt to Shawn. Uh, but Brett wasn't really ready for that because he didn't like Shawn Michaels' attitude and uh, think he didn't respect him enough or, or something. Um, but uh, they just went ahead with it anyway. There was a fast count by the ref. Um, and it, and it played off. This is when Bret Hart, um, he spit at, uh, Vince McMahon, spit a loogie like right in his face and, uh, waved with his finger W C W in the air of the crowd. That's when he jumped ship. Um, so you had that bad blood already between Bret Hart and the WWF and Vince McMahon. And then a few years later, like your, your brother, you know, they, there's a mistake happens where, you know, the brother, uh, his own brother kind of falls to his death. Unfortunately, tragically, I, I can't imagine what Bret's feelings were towards that company. <laughs> yeah. I'm, probably immediate. It had to be an immediate anger. Yeah. But then, I mean, I, w- I would like to believe you, know, he would kind of come to a sense and realize, you know, nothing that could not have been done on purpose. I mean, no one's going to try to hurt anybody in this business. Everyone's kind of looking out for themselves, not for themselves, but for, you know, for the, you know, the industry in general. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it probably took some years, but, um, I, you know, I'm pretty sure at least I've heard from Brett. I mean, Brett appears on the network on different shows now these days. So if if the blood was still bad, I don't think that would be the case. Oh yeah. He would want nothing to do with, you know, WWE and Vince McMahon at all. Yeah, but uh, it, it's just it's it's crazy because it is a business. There's a dirty side to it. There's a lot of behind the scenes drama. There are eras of this stuff where it was more adult and more racy and a little too sexy for like children to be watching. There are eras when it was like just a total cartoon characters like Doink the Clown coming out to the doink, ring. Doink and Dink. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just that the history of professional wrestling is such a crazy thing. And uh, I don't know, you and I were hot into it for a long time, I kind of fell in and out. I, I think over the past decade or so, you and I have kind of come in, come out. To, I, I know I've tried a couple of times with some of the newer talent like John Cena and uh, Bray Wyatt. And I say new talent, but these these have been guys that have been around for years and years now. 
Um, but yeah, is there anyone you can kind of name out of the last decade or so that uh, that uh, is as enjoyable to watch as those old days? Uh, I mean, I really don't know, honestly. I mean, you kind of named him John Cena is the name that really comes to mind. Uh, I've I've been out of it for so long. I've kind of tried watching it a few times to get back into it. I mean, you have your you know your old faithfuls, right? You have your Triple H, you have your Undertaker. Uh, I think Kane may be even still active. So some yeah. of the guys, some of the holdovers uh, from you know a while back. I mean, they, they they bring up that that emotion that like oh the lights just went out. You hear you know the belt you know toll. Yeah, like Undertaker's coming. All of a sudden you see him walk. Still out. gives me chills. Yeah, I watched one match that he's walking through. And he you got those cannons, like uh, voice cannons on the both sides of them. Yeah. There's three of them. He's walking right through, and he's even with them, and they go off. Yeah, he doesn't even flinch, dude. Yeah, they've been doing pyro a lot less since then because of that specific incident. And he went through that entire match with like I don't know, like first or second degree burns all over him. So I mean, it was it was it was crazy. But uh, I mean, when it comes to like specifics, I mean, I remember when uh, Chris Jericho jumped ship, came over to WW, uh, WWF, yeah, and it was a countdown. You didn't know what the countdown really was, yeah. And then he comes out, turns around, and you hear his his music playing, "Break the Walls Down." That's right, Y two J. Yeah, the Y two J setup, and it was that that was pretty cool because it was the countdown, and we weren't sure. Then he comes out. And I remember getting I remember getting specific chills when hearing the music, yeah. And I had such high hopes when that happened. And I think my my hopes may have been too high because it didn't quite live to up to what I wanted it to be. But I mean, is that's pretty much what I can think of. Is there a specific match? Like, do you remember a specific match throughout the time uh, you've been watching, say eighties, nineties? You know, now that you know comes to mind that you you enjoy more than another. You go back and watch at any point. Um, now that I have the app, I probably will. I haven't yet, but probably my favorite match that I remember as a kid is, I forget which pay-per-view it was. It might've been a WrestleMania. It might've been a Royal Rumble, um, which, you know, sidebar, Royal Rumble is probably my favorite pay-per-view of all time. That's just my favorite setup as far as like... Oh, we went back and me and Zach have watched already one or two Royal <laughs> Rumble. So it's like, dude, you're going to love this. Yeah. When the timer goes off, not knowing who's about to run through that entranceway and run into the ring, it's just exciting. It's like, it's pandemonium. But um, there is a specific match, and I think it may have been, honestly, the very first ladder match, if not the first you know, that was done, at least the first that was on kind of the the big show, right, as far as a pay-per-view. And that was the ladder match between Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. I mean, those two guys went at it. I, I remember even as a kid, I was like, I can't believe what these guys are doing and what they're putting their bodies through. Just like the, the drama of how Shawn would, you know, almost get up there, be grabbing towards the belt, and then, you know, Razor would knock down the ladder. And just so much close calls like that. Um, just a, a couple of pros, but probably one of their best matches on either side. Um, so that's that's probably the one that I remember the most. You say Shawn Michaels and you bring up Royal Rumble. The one thing I think of the most, and I was watching, I was laughing when I was watching the most recent one. He is one wrestler that would go over the top rope the most and whip back underneath the bottom. <laughs> that's right. Like you would think he's out like six or seven different times and he winds up right back under the bottom rope. Yeah. It was, uh, every time that happened on the one I just watched, I, I was laughing. I was like, that is, that is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And my middle name's Michael. So I used to get uh, the whole Sean Michaels thing a lot as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you brought that one up. The one that comes to mind for me the most 
And maybe it's just because I'm a I'm just a huge Undertaker fan. I remember me, you, your your mom was a huge Undertaker. I think she probably still is a huge Undertaker fan. My mom and my uncle Jimmy, who under he used to wear like Undertaker t shirts. Uh when we you know, my mom used to order the pay per views and he would be over. We know um he still to this day is posting stuff about the Dallas Cowboys and the Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a match. There's a it may have been the the second hell in a cell match. Oh yeah. Between the Undertaker and it was um, Mankind. Yeah, Mick Foley. Man, Mick, Mick Foley, Mankind. He walks out. And instead of actually going in the ring, he climbs to the top of the cage and basically invites Undertaker up there to start the match up there. Yeah. And I didn't know this at the time, but the Undertaker had a broken foot. Oh, wow. Really? So, yeah, when he walks out there and looks up and sees you know Mankind on top of this cage, he's thinking, oh, hell. And then he was like, well, what he said, you know, in the documentary I watched, he said, there's absolutely no way I am not getting up there. Yeah. So he got up there and they did their thing. And I, I showed Zach this. I said, dude, watch this. When Undertaker throws mankind off the top of the 16 foot <laughs> cage on this table and then they bring out like a freaking stretcher and everything. I mean, he's legitimately basically out of it. Yeah. And Undertaker's up there kind of looking at him like, OK, what, what do we do now? Then it lift the cage up. And they take Mankind out. When Undertaker's, you know, getting off the cage, Mankind's running back. He's climbing the cage again. Then he gets chokeslammed through the cage onto the ring. Oh, man. Then the thumbtacks. Dude, that whole match. I mean, I'll watch that anytime. I'll watch the documentary on it. I'll watch the match. It was it was actually at a uh, one of the King of the Rings. So if you're, if you're looking for it, it's either King of the Ring or you can actually probably, if you just type in like Undertaker, Hell in a Cell, you'll be able to find it. In yeah, the actual app. It's insanity. And I, I know and I, Mick Foley has said that he almost regrets that match. It's kind of one of his most remembered matches. And he only, he kind of regrets it because they the two of them went so far that nobody's been able to top it as far as any kind of cage match or hell in the cell since. And they've all tried to do it. And wrestlers have gotten pretty badly hurt by trying to outdo Mick Foley and, and The Undertaker for that match. And uh, to this day, I don't think it's gotten any better as far as a hell in the cell or a cage match. Well, McMahon is famously, uh, you know, told him, said, thank you. And I never want to see you do that again. <laughs> yeah. So he, he basically did the two things. So he, he acknowledged what him and the Undertaker just did for the WWF because he knew that that was a match they were going to talk about for all time. I mean, we're talking 20 plus years later now. Yeah. And on the other side, he's like, he knows you can tell, you know, Vince McMahon has that persona on TV. That he's just an ass, Mr. McMahon. But you can tell he care. He, he generally cares for his his guys. Oh yeah, I mean you have to. They're your. I mean that's your bread and butter. <laughs> you can't afford for your guys to, yeah. <laughs> especially the ones that are making you money. I mean there is the money side of it, but yeah, I mean these are human beings that are putting their bodies on the line um, day in day out to put on a big show, right? And um, it's just crazy. I mean you and I have been talking for a while now, and there are wrestlers that we haven't even mentioned, like the big. I said the big show, and it reminded me of the big show. <laughs> I mean the, yeah, there yeah. are guys that uh, that just like Brock Lesnar and. Um, uh, I mean, there's just too many to name as far as, uh, you know, but we kind of wanted to go over some of our favorites, some of our uh, our best memories of, uh, you know, the 80s era, the 90s era, the Attitude era leading up into the 2000s. That's kind of when we fell out of it. And uh, now's a good opportunity now that we're kind of stuck at home a lot to uh, relive some of those memories and maybe watch some uh, pay-per-views that we missed. 
And I think one of the best parts is that uh, because they do have SmackDowns and Rawls, you can actually watch these storylines progress. So, you know, you can watch the promos that they cut. You can watch the matches that they had prior leading up to a pay-per-view and then watch the pay-per-view to see how it all resolved. Yeah. Um, that's that's some fun stuff. Yeah, this is actually pretty fun because uh, just like, you know, famously my Star Wars love now, uh, it rekindled when my son Zach went ahead and found, you know, the Clone Wars. And I did not know this. But he absolutely loves John Cena. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where he actually, you know, learned. I mean, obviously, I mean, probably school. But he comes in, you know, talking about you can't see this. And he kind of comes in, my name is John Cena. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's hilarious. I'm loving it. So I start showing him some of these matches. And he is so into it. And when, see, I I don't know the results of these matches because I, I didn't, I wasn't a part of it, this error. Right. So when I just put a match on, I'm thinking, okay, I'm hoping he wins. And when he loses, he's almost in tears. Oh, no. He's so upset. He comes over and jumps on me, puts his head on my shoulder. And he, I'm like asking him what's wrong. He said, dude, daddy, John Cena lost. And I'm like, I, I, I love it because that was, I remember that was, you know, the emotions that we had. Yeah. When we didn't know when something big happened and we didn't want it to happen, uh, it was or when someone uh, was it Goldberg when he got beat finally on one of the big WCW matches. Or I think Nash beat him. Right. I remember the emotion. We both jumped out of our seats when it happened. <laughs> I mean, just seeing that rekindled, you know, in what my wife likes to say, my mini me, because he resembles all my interests, you know, at one point. Uh is great. I mean, he's he's basically you know opening up, you know, rekindling this fire. And I watched, you know, some of when we we're probably like I said earlier, we're probably going to become SmackDown people, so we're going to watch SmackDown in the evening and uh, go through some of these uh, matches on what I remember to kind of show him, you know, what Daddy grew up on. Yeah, I definitely uh, rekindled some uh, some some nostalgic love there for professional wrestling there recently by just downloading the the app on a whim <laughs> and suggesting you do the same. So uh, it's a topic that uh, we discussed a lot today, and I think next episode we'll uh, kind of go into specifically WrestleMania, the kind of the history of it, our history, um, some some of the best matches in WrestleMania previously, and then we've got WrestleMania 36 um, is coming up on April fifth. Uh, and six, kind of a first, um, well, a couple firsts for this show. I mean, it's kind of the biggest show in professional wrestling, almost like uh, the Super Bowl. Almost like the Super Bowl takes place every year. A lot of folks looking forward to the spectacle. Uh, this year will be the first where it's split over two nights, both Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and the first where I guess there's not going to be any crowd. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, I'm telling you, I watched Raw this past week. Or, well, yesterday, I should say, if you guys get out here, we're recording on on Tuesday here. Uh, but yeah, watching some of the things like The Miz came out and was like talking trash to an empty arena. And it was surreal almost. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how this uh, WrestleMania is going to play out. Because I mean, the card itself, it looks amazing. I mean, yeah, like I said, we've been away for a while, but we know the names that are going to be on these big shows. It's kind of hard not to know these names. And it looks like something that would be fun to watch and in front of like, thousands of people that you can kind of play off of and then they're not going to have that so i think this time here is going to actually show vince who his real personalities are now granted yeah. they got gronk hosting the thing come on but <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i mean i'm kind of looking forward to it 
yeah, so it's, uh, it's something we'll be looking into over the next couple of episodes, um, so stay tuned for that. Hopefully you're a fan of pro wrestling. Uh, if so, tune in. If not, I apologize. We'll move on to other things after <laughs> after WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the part I'm going to go ahead and jump in my car, and we're going to cruise into that cheesy portion of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's, I mean, it's clearly our dad jokes you know, portion here. Okay, so what does a nosy pepper do? What does a nosy pepper do? I don't know. It gets jalapeno business. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I should have seen that coming a mile away. Hey, uh, did you hear about the restaurant on the moon? I did not. Yeah, they have great food. No atmosphere. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's definitely a dad joke. (laughs) That qualifies. (laughs) Okay, guys, well, you, you you heard, like I said earlier, you heard our cheesy. I mean, if you're listening to us now, you know where to find us. I mean, the majority of you guys listen to us on uh, on iTunes. But uh, spread the word. If people don't have iTunes, we're on Google Play as well, you know, for the Android people out there. I know that's uh, it's a divisive topic right there, Android, Apple. But uh, we're out there for all of you to consume us. I mean, we don't have anything really happening going forward. I mean, we're all kind of stuck in this, you know, quarantine state that we're in. Uh, we kind of let on already what our next couple of shows are going to be about. You know, next week's going to be... You know, history of, you know, WrestleMania. Then we're going to do the breakdown of WrestleMania. So uh, if you're not into wrestling, sorry. uh, But (laughs) if you like listening to us, at least download us. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, we're going to give you three episodes. And then we're going to kind of see where we go from there. I mean, in three weeks from now, uh, we may be in a, you know, back in a little more normal. But uh, who really knows what the the future really holds for us. Besides being here for you guys recording. That's right. Keep a little normalcy here. Keep a little uh, levity and keep going through one podcast at a time. There we go. So I think that's a good sign, a uh, good spot for us here at the Dad and Rock podcast to go ahead and sign off for the evening. Catch you guys later. Rest in peace.